Hello, lovely people. I've got a discount code for you. Uh, it gets you 30%, yes, 30% off. The discount code is TAG30. That's T A G 30. Or for you military folk, there's Tango Alpha Golf 30. TAG30 for 30% off. Uh, that's at the. That's at the Aardvark Group's online store. They've got an online merchandise store. You can go and get 30 but That's a lot of money, man. It's Christmas as well. 30% off. Code is tag 30. Go to aardvark.group and hit the shop. And you will hit the store and you will, uh, you'll you'll get money off their, uh, their merchandise. They've got some snazzy little t-shirts and uh, other other gear in there. Go take a look. So the Aardvark Group, um, they're a, they're a group. They're a company. They're an organization who since 1982 have been trying to rid the world of uh, unexploded ordnance threats, landmine threats, anti-personnel mines, anti-tank mine threats. And they've been doing that in a way uh, which sees uh, mechanical innovations applied in various capacities. They basically started out with the objective of developing a, a mechanical landmine clearing system which would meet certain design criteria that its founders wanted. Uh, basically, it needed to, as I said, clear all known anti-tank and anti-personnel mines uh, using mechanical or manual means and also to locate, identify and dispose of other munitions and unexploded ordnance. It's not a small undertaking to try and rid the world of landmines. In fact, it's an enormous undertaking. They reckon, they being people, organisations and research groups around the world, they reckon there's an in excess of 90 million mines around the world. The Red Cross are estimating it's more like 110 million. And the problem isn't just the number of mines, but it's the huge areas contaminated. Think about the country called Croatia. Okay, that has been well mapped where mines are concerned, and it's got an area of 4,000 square kilometers contaminated by minefields, right? Minefields and randomly scattered mines elsewhere, not, not within minefields that are marked, but elsewhere. That's 4 billion square meters, okay? Area clearance is a massive, massive issue, and it is not cheap. The cost of clearance per square meter is vital to the commercial viability of the clearance process. And so cost effectiveness and the safety of the operators is of paramount importance to the Aardvark group. For more than five decades, with all that in mind, they've been uh, developing technical innovations to support operators fighting at the front line of conservation and for the protection of natural resources using their three principles, detect, protect, and defeat. The consequence of their design philosophy that was born back in 1982 has been to produce the most effective specialised vehicle for their destruction of destruction of destruction or detonation of landmines while permitting their system to be adapted for attachment to minefield breaching machines in fact it was actually a, a british invention back in the day to put a flail on the front of a world war ii main battle tank for use in the liberation of europe um if you want to find out more about the aardvark group go to aardvark.group and don't forget like i said they've got a 30 percent discount they're using at the minute i think it's just for december right 30 percent off Go to their store at aardvark.group and chuck in, uh, check out the discount code TAG30, T-A-G-3-0. Thank you to the Aardvark Group for supporting the podcast, sponsoring the podcast and supporting the military community as a whole and employing military veterans as you do. Cheers, David, St. John Clare and everyone else there. Very much appreciated. Also sponsoring the podcast today are a veteran-owned and operated company called Unmanned Air Veterans who were founded by Stuart Logan. Stu Logan served with the 
3-2 Regiment Royal Artillery, which is a unit which supports reactive force elements of HM forces with unmanned aerial vehicles, UAVs. Steer himself served for 17 years. His first deployment with the UAV system was to Kosovo in 1999. During his career, he also deployed multiple times to Iraq and Afghan with UAVs. And during the tail end of his career, he considered applying his knowledge and his experience in the civilian world, providing commercial UAV services. However, Stu was made redundant in 2013, and unfortunately, uh, depression and PTSD had a big impact on him and on his family, and his, his aspirations to start his own business went a bit Pete Tong. But thankfully, he was uh, accepted by Combat Stress to receive support, and, he, and subsequently then the Poppy Factory, Healthy Heroes, and the X-Forces Network. And Stu was actually uh, able to attend a business coaching course later on at Tedworth House. After completing the course, he qualified to apply for a grant and a business loan. And uh, with ongoing support now from his partner and his kids and his old colleague, uh, Tom, from 3-2 Regiment, now his business partner, Unmanned Air Veterans is going from strength to strength. Their primary focus is digital media, so promotional or facility and site safety work, uh, TV and film, surveys and inspections of infrastructure and facilities. As mentioned, the guys behind this company, Stu and Tom, they've operated drones on operational tours all the way back from Kosovo in 99 to modern-day Afghanistan and Iraq. They've worked with systems such as Phoenix, Desert Hawk 1 Plus and 3, Hermes, Buster, T-Hawk and Watchkeeper. So, if you need expert commercial UAV services, then get in touch with these guys. All right? Unmanned air veterans. They're on LinkedIn, they're on Facebook and on Instagram. Support veteran-owned business. Check them out. Give them a follow. Get in touch with them if you need UAV services, perfecto. Also sponsored the podcast today are Rugby for Heroes. Rugby for Heroes are behind the formation of the Forces Barbarians RSC, and Rugby for Heroes themselves were founded in 2009 uh, following the, the death of Private Joe Whitaker, who was sadly killed in 2008, serving with the Parachute Regiment in Afghanistan. Rugby for Heroes was formed by a group of friends, group of keen rugby players based out of old Lemontonians RFC in Warwickshire uh, with the express objective of raising money for military charities and they have been doing so ever since. They started off the uh, formative years I should say doing just one event a year which was a, uh, a rugby festival in Old Lemontonians RSC and a hugely successful rugby f- festival to raise money for charity and even just conducting one event a year for most of the years that they've been in existence, they still managed to raise over £110,000, a huge amount of money for military uh, military charities. In the last couple of years, they've tried to increase the events that have been undertaken and they have done and those events include so the rugby festivals, they also include beer and gin festivals and supper clubs and, and such like. They had a lot of events planned for this year. Uh, COVID said no, and uh, <laughs> so they've obviously been pushed to the right. But Mike and the team, they want to get the events underway as soon as they can. Okay, They're really keen to get going. They've managed uh, through Forces Barbarians RFC to do fundraising that way. Forces Barbarians RFC are a fundraising arm of... Um, Rugby for Heroes, uh, but Rugby for Heroes want to get their 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 own core events on, on the go again. And so you need to keep an eye on what Rugby for Heroes are doing. Uh, they're on social media as at Rugby for Heroes, at Rugby number four heroes. So give them a follow. They're on Instagram, they're on Twitter, they're on Facebook, um, and just check out what they're doing. And I've been to, since I found out about Rugby for Heroes, 
a few years back now. I've, I think I think I've been to every event. That's right. Mike will correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure I've been to every event that they've done, and I w- intend to go to every event that they do in the future. That's what I want to do. Fingers crossed. They're amazing events and all for a good cause. And and as well as it's great networking, great meeting people, and great catching up with old friends who I might bump into along the way, which has happened each time. So thank you to Mike and everybody at Rugby the Heroes for everything that you're doing for the military community and for sponsoring this podcast. Uh, yeah, give me a follow, folks, at Rugby Number Four Heroes. Um, that's it. On to the podcast. My guest today is Dave Harding Pryor, Dave HP. And uh, I don't know if anyone else calls him Dave HP or is that just me? Might be a Hughism. Anyway, Dave HP. Uh, Dave is ex Royal Fusiliers and he is he now hosts his own podcast called the Reorg Podcast, uh, which which basically interviews ex military folk who have experienced um, combat in some way, shape, or form. And Dave interviews these people to get their stories of combat out and to uh, learn from their experiences and so other people can learn from their experiences as well uh it's a great podcast dave's a great guy and you'll enjoy this bit around the houses it starts off with veganism but it doesn't stay like that just warning you it doesn't stay like that uh if it does if you do want it to stay like that it doesn't but it, i don't expect you to do i'm waffling now like i did when i was on about veganism anyway this is the h hour podcast my guest today is dave harding prior and uh you're gonna enjoy it Harding Pryor. Harding Pryor, yeah. <laughs> Dave, Dave HP, I can yeah, remember Dave the goldfish. Go. <laughs> Welcome, mate. Has yeah. anyone ever told you that you sound like, uh, I'll continue where we start, finished off two seconds ago in a yeah. technical drama, you sound like Jason Fox? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> you sound like Jason Just Fox, mate. I think you do anyway. Really? Yeah. No, Is he from your neck of the woods? I don't know. I don't know where he's from. I'm from Portsmouth, but. Oh, well, maybe. 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 Know. He's Navy, isn't he? Yeah, but he's down. He's down that. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah that way. That, south. Must, must, might have been anyway. I don't know. I don't know. Um, three days. You said you'd managed three days on a vegan diet. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I did. I, me and me, me and the missus tried it. We were like, oh fuck it, give it a go. And uh, yeah, three days. We went to ZZ's. They had the vegan options, and then we were like, no, nah, fuck it, we'll have a pizza. <laughs> why did you want to? Why did you? Why did you? What was the so? You, have you seen that? What? Uh, what the health? It's a, it's a documentary. It's a, it's, but it's one of those propaganda documentaries that vegans give out, and uh, we watched it, and I, and I watched it with open eyes because I know it's a, uh, I know it. There's a lot of lies in it, but we did it, gave it a go, and then I was, I couldn't do it. No cheese for that. I could probably do. I could probably be a veggie if I really needed to be. I don't want to be, but I probably could. But no cheese or milk. I couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah I always forget about the cheese bit. Mm. The cheese and you can't have eggs either, can no. you? No. Oh, mate. No. So you get, well, I guess, vegetarian. You can. You can have eggs, and but I mean, if you're going to be a veggie, you can't really have eggs, can you? Because that's why not. It defeats the opposite. Like, if you're going to be a veggie for ethical reasons. Well, there's the thing. It depends why, right? Yeah. It depends why you're going to do it. So this is. So I mean, I'm wearing the baseball cap, but only because I'm like I don't mind vegans, but mm. I like the baseball cap. I like the little phrase it came up with. Yeah enough to put it on a baseball cap for myself just to wind people up because they're very touchy. <laughs> Vegan activists are very touchy, I yeah. should say. But, like you said, it depends what you're doing it for. So, uh, and this is why it benefits some 
people see benefit in it because it's i mean it's like a it's like a what you call it um what you call it, elimination diet isn't it mm-hmm. i did uh <clears throat> i went over the last few years i think just on like on the mental health just with the whole mental health awareness thing mm-hmm. and all that came in i started and plus i'm getting a bit old i started trying to be more conscious and yeah. i'm living and just because i want to live i don't want to yeah. i don't want to die young right <laughs> and um i started doing different diets and stuff i did the carnivore diet I did carnivore and fish. Uh-huh. I did that for it was at least four months, four or five months. But just purely carnivore, like just purely meat, oh, animal products. Pure, yeah. pure, yeah, pure, pure meat and fish. Now I would occasionally, I said lapse. It wasn't a lapse. Occasionally, like I have a, I have a, a cheat meal, mm-hmm. but I it was a deliberate, it was a deliberate decision not to go right. You can't eat anything. I did want to go. You can't eat anything but this. It, it, it makes it like an impossible task. Yeah, not, there's no way I'm not going to have a fucking. Like, you know, I don't know. Pasta or something. Veg or yeah. pasta or something for the rest of my life. Anyway, it was really good. Expensive, mind. Mm-hmm. And a bit, bit boring. Mm-hmm. But it was really good. Um, like, I, I... Well, hang on. Let me rephrase that. When I say it was really good, I didn't notice any negative mm-hmm. be- negative things. Mm-hmm. Didn't really change stuff. Um, my... M- uh, my... I, I stopped getting... I stopped getting tired spells after meals. Mm-hmm. And I stopped in the afternoon. You get, oh, God. I stopped getting tired in the afternoons. Where you know people have, it was like me, I always get tired like mid afternoon and need a fucking nap. Like, yeah, God, yeah. I've got to the end of the day yet. That stopped. Like, completely stopped. But I attribute that, and that, that's still to this day now. So, like, sort of the biggest thing that has, has happened to me through altering my diet, be more of a diet, is that yeah. I don't get slumps after yeah. meals unless i have the wrong meal right mm-hmm. so but i attribute that to what i cut out sugar so the only time i love sugar now is um uh, is in beer mm-hmm. is in alcohol that's mm-hmm. literally the only time i love sugar occasionally i like the, we got the chocolate fingers <laughs> there i'll have some chocolate fingers occasionally i'll, I'll you know i don't call it cheating but i'll indulge yeah rest of the time i don't have sugar on anything i don't get an afternoon slump the only time i get a slump is have a big carb heavy meal or your sunday roast yeah you know with all the potatoes and all that in there and i'll be like oh my god and um, and now I on also as a result of all that it changed when I when I needed to eat, mm-hmm. and now I intermittent fast, but not by choice. It's just what's happened. Yeah. So I'll get to like early afternoon. I, well, I I don't need to eat until like one, two, three o'clock. Yeah. I can get to the evening. I haven't eaten all day. That includes training in the morning or training in the day. I can get to the evening and I'll eat then. I, yeah. I, I'm not craving craving. I mean, food. Intermittent fast is good. Yeah, I I would do it. But um, I, but I, didn't, I didn't deliberately go in aim into it intermittent no. fast because, like, I think a bit like you, I'm I'm open minded. It's like okay, different diets benefit different people, and you got to have sort of a holistic approach to it all. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not of the opinion veganism works for everyone. It works for few people for different reasons. Like carnivore diet works for people, but it's fucking crazy, and you know you need to have a holistic approach to it. Yeah. Um, but the intermittent fasting came about just through. Cutting down the sugar and the carbs, and so my body went back to you know the way cavemen were, and it it burns fat, it burns fat for its energy mm-hmm. as opposed to looking for the, what's in your belly for the energy. This is as simple as I can explain it. So I don't get, uh, I don't, you know, you get really hungry and Jesus, I need to eat. I used to be a person to get, get to ten a.m. in the morning. If I hadn't had breakfast by ten a.m., I would be going down. Mm-hmm. Like I'd be in clip. I need food. I've got no energy. That's gone now because yeah. the body looks to the fat deposits for. The fat stores for the energy as opposed to your belly. Yeah. It's, it's been a bit of a, been a bit of a, uh, I can't say a game changer. Do you have coffee? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so that goes against, but what you, but goes against what you, the game changes. Have you seen that documentary? What you're saying about the energy goes against what they say. And obviously that, what that program is to be debunked, I guess, by a lot of people. But, you know, yeah. you, you, the thing is, if you watch stuff like that, you, you've got to go in with the mind that there's, there's, there's views for other people. You could watch scientists that give you, you know, the views that is fucking meat. Even the carnivore diet is good, but then people are going to push what they want, really. This and this is a problem. Is oh, we're on the fucking diet. This is the problem. Is that with veganism, that is a money maker, money making industry now, mm-hmm. and it and uh, it attracts, especially at the sort of activist end. And on anything to do with that ethical, environmental aspect, the kind of people that are attracted to that, good people, wholeheartedly good people, emotionally invested in it, but very, 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 very susceptible to being spun yarn and being spun bullshit. Now, I'm not saying that the whole, like Game Changers, for example, that whole, that whole, uh, that was really interesting, right? But the whole thing isn't all bullshit. Mm-hmm. But when you start watching it with open mind, which I did, I didn't finish it, by the way, because I start getting annoyed. When you watch it with an open mind and think about what they're saying, it it was a lot of it was propaganda, mm. you know. But the guy behind I can't remember his name, UFC fighter, the guy who made it, he's doing it, you know, all honest intentions, good guy and believes in what he's doing. But an example from that game chambers game changes documentary, one of the points I started getting annoyed. Because I, I want I want to I want to consume information that's been presented in a balanced way, mm-hmm. right? What I don't want to be doing is watching a documentary that is talking about 20, 30, 40, uh, 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 what you call them, gladiators from yeah. back in the day that yeah. they studied, didn't they? Yeah. Now these, all these gladiators from back in the day, and, and they were able to determine from studying whatever the samples they had from these gladiators from years ago, all came from one woman area as well, that they said, uh, so they were able to determine that the gladiator's diet, they said was vegetarian, mm. right? The gladiator's diet was vegetarian. In fact, they said, they're, they're pre- they said predominantly vegetarian. Yeah. yeah. Well, they used the word vegetarian, yeah, right? right? Uh, one of the, one of the scientists did, predominantly vegetarian, right? Now, what they found in the in that research is that the gladiators' diet was mostly veg, compared to meat. Then they used the word vegetarian. Mm. That is not vegetarian. Mm. My diet is mostly veg and meat. I have more veg on my plate than I do meat. I ain't fucking vegetarian. <laughs> But to say that in a documentary mm. like that, that people are going to hang on the word of, yeah. go, oh my God, gladiators are vegetarian. No, no, no. They had the same diet as me, sort of, mostly veg, and then partly meat on the plate. But because it's a film like that, and they're trying to peddle whatever they're trying to peddle, they've said vegetarian. Yeah. Bollocks. But the thing is, they, and they, what do they use? They use Nate Diaz as an example, but he eats fish. You know, so, and the thing is, I watched it, and I'm, you know, I'm looking at it, and I'm going, okay. But... That there's there's athletes doing it right, but there's no one the best. There's no one the best. You, you're not looking at the best. Like they put that strong that strong man in, saying he's not the strongest man in the world. You know. Uh, and and some uh, I th- there was I can't remember many, how many of those like top tier, arguably you know high level athletes that they use, but something like sixty or seventy percent of them were not had changed back from the vegan diet to the normal diet since mm. they're making the documentary because it wasn't working. Yeah. But again, I, I'd like to clarify, I've got no issue against the vegan diet. What I've got an issue is against things like that, documentaries like that, or people, vegan activists saying the vegan diet is the healthiest way forward and all other diets are bad for you. It's, it, No, it's not. No, it's not. 
Do you want to know a good documentary? It's yeah, called no. Kiss the Ground. I think when it is. When you say good, is it? Is no, it, no. Is so it, is, it, is, it, is it in line with what we think? No, <laughs> is it our propaganda? Yeah, yeah. So, no, <laughs> no. So it's similar. So it's talking about the the diet, and it goes on about um, plant based. It's called Kiss the Ground. It's uh, Kiss the Ground or Kiss yeah, Kiss the Ground. It's got uh, Woody Harrelson uh, narrating it. Really good. But it talks more about regenerative farming, and I think yeah, it's just it's, it's really good. It, so it's more more on the basis of that. So it's talking about plant-based, plant-based being better, but it's also saying, it's not saying you can't eat animals. It's saying if you're going to do it, the way forward is regenerative farming where we have grass growing. And I mean, just far out my re- realms of knowledge. But, yeah, you know, same just, here. That's interesting because Woody Harrelson is flat out, oh, <coughs> flat out tree hugger, isn't he? Hmm. And uh, I, I have to watch that. Um, but again, interesting, you know, that, that uh, it's very difficult to find difficult to find you don't you don't get presented with that sort of alternative view on uh I- the the on farming for example mm-hmm. agriculture for example mm-hmm. all you hear is the hideous stories mm-hmm. got a friend called jeremy gibbs who um forces farming he's the founder of forces yeah, yeah. farming folks you know and we've had some conversations and his old background is agriculture and he we haven't got into the depths of it but he came on the podcast one day he probably chatted about it then but he was saying like it's like not all farmers are a nightmare. Most no. farmers, they actually give a shit about their animals yeah, because a healthier animal is is better for them yeah. in terms of, you think about it in product, in inter- inverted commas, you, you want healthy animals because that breeds healthier animals and they get better meat and they, and, they la- and they live longer, less susceptible to disease and all that stuff. It's I think we, we also need to take into consideration we're watching it from the UK where <laughs> the, the livestock and the treatment of livestock is a lot different over here than it is in America, because all these are American document, document, documentaries. Whereas in the UK, we're quite um, farmings. They care about the animals a lot more. Yeah, I think probably like the probably like the US though. It, you go to the wrong areas, and there are absolute assholes. You know, I, I, I've been. Uh, I mean, you know, I've been like I used to horse ride a lot, and uh, you go to one sta- you go to one stables, one, and it, all the horses are really horses are really kept well. And you can see they're really kept well, and, and just the good environment to live in and you go to somewhere else in a different part of the country and it's fucking terrible. Um, I mean, that's just, that's just an example of the difference. In, that's the point that is, uh, there are some assholes in the yeah. UK. You know, same as, same as you. Should we get off the subject? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's way out of our <laughs> realms of expertise. Um, mate, who, who have you been interviewing? Who are you interviewing? Uh, yeah, so I just, uh, there's a lad named Stu Nicholson. He was a, he finished, he did 19 years finishes a major uh, yeah, it was good to just you know get him on and have a chat with him um it was interesting to see that he did he did 19 years he joined in i think 93 94 and um he didn't see us so, so my podcast all about i want to get combat experience you know speak to people different people about their experiences in combat and his he didn't experience his first combat until 11 years in where he did his uh, Iraq, I think 2005, something like that. Pull it into you. Yeah, 2005. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but also just listening to him, his first contact, he was, bear in mind, he was the OC at the time and they, they were in snatches and warriors, you know, and it was, it was a full-on hairy situation and he was an OC dealing with it. And just listening to him when he came back and how we felt is just similar to how we felt. And, being in, I said to him at the end, you know, after the podcast, I said, look, it's, it's good to get it from your point of view because as a normal entry soldier, you kind of, 
sometimes not dismiss you, you look at officers different to how everyone you know because they're, they're officers so you, you kind of look at them um and think of them in a different way look at them as spit yeah <laughs> no but it's you know it's um so it's interesting to see hear from here even him he was so he was 32 at the time when it happened so he's my age my age now um and that was his first time in combat but he was you know an oc so he was fucking rolling around with you know a company of men and he's still getting back and fucking thinking at the time he said he said when he was when it first hit, hit the fan he had a little bit of a lull and he you know a little bit of a flap and he was like fuck how are we going to get out of this but then he looked around and he just saw his men just you know, like fucking playing the game and just getting the rounds down and doing the shit and he was like that's how i'm going to get out of this because of these guys you know and it's just it was interesting hearing it from him his point of view how many so how many for the reorg how many um how many people have you interviewed now? How many, how many episodes have you done? So that was my 13th. So third. And what's the what's the breakdown between officers and, and non-commissioned? So that was my bands? second officer. I think. Yeah. Yeah, second. Uh, the first the first guy was Tony Harris. He was my, one of my, well, he was from my lot. But he, um, he was a good lad. He, he still is a good lad because he's still around. But he uh, he lost his leg, but he, it wasn't after the fact. He, but um, yeah, it was good. So yeah, that's my second officer, and the rest have all been scrub bags like us. So through through these thirteen, when did you start? When did you, when did you start? Uh, so I started July, July. Yeah, yeah. July was my first through, one. Through the thirteen, is there anything? Is there anything that's uh, you've been surprised by that you didn't th- like? Like when you've been interviewing people mm-hmm. and what they've experienced or things they said, are there anything taking you by surprise? And they, like you think, oh, I didn't think that you'd people have that experience. Or um, if I'm honest, just people, some of the sheer stories that you hear, like your instance, for for, for instance, you know, so your story when you're coming out of um, where was it, Gresh? No, Musakala. Like when you're like that story when you're in jingly trucks, and I'm like, what the how how's that even like you, you just can't comprehend it if you if you weren't there you can't comprehend it there's no way of me trying to think like i can't i trying to comprehend it after listening to you talk about it, i'm like fuck like i don't know how i would feel because and then i re- after then i watched the documentary that um of that and um i think actually there was here is a helmet that one yeah, yeah. that one and i watched um because the, they've got the video the footage isn't there <laughs> Just trying to get your head around it. Um, I think people still disbelieve it now. Yeah. I, I, I genuinely think that people Would still disbelieve don't, it. I, that it didn't happen. You probably don't blame them though. When you, <laughs> yeah. when you hear what what actually happened, you're like, fuck. <laughs> it's mental. You yeah. wouldn't, I, like when you think it was, hang on, 21st century. Yeah. But um, that's that was sort of, that. the reason I asked you that question is because it, a realisation for me as I've been doing these podcasts and meet, and not just on the podcast and interviewing people, but I've been introduced to other people, the more mm. military people I would ever that I would ever have met if I hadn't been doing this, mm-hmm. right? Um, from all different cat badges. And one of the things I realise is, I think we have this. I think we, in general, ex-military, we served on whatever tour and experienced combat in some way, shape, or form. Be that one contact or be that fucking hundreds, right? Mm. We have this thing in the red where. It's like that or that sort sort of unique to me. There's not many people experience what I do. Or if you're in something like pretty significant, like um, 
like Musicala or yeah. any of the other big actions. Danny Boy, the Battle yeah. of Danny Boy with Brian Wood in yeah. Iraq, right? And, you know, stuff like that. It, you think that when you experience it, you think, man, like, you sort of in a subconscious way, you think it's not, it's a unique story, hmm. right? And it's kind of the, the worst end of what anyone can experience in doing it. But as I've met more people in the There's stories, more. I'm the same as you, mate. I get knocked off my feet regularly. Yeah. I go, Jesus. Yeah. Especially about Iraq. Yeah. Especially about Iraq. When I when I speak to the guys about Iraq, because um, not a lot of people had experiences like Brian Wood out in Iraq. Mm-hmm. Like um, I think Gez Jones had a pretty tasty out there as well, mm-hmm. didn't he? Um, we forget about that, that operation because yeah. it's so overshadowed by yeah. Afghan. And some of the shit that went down out there is... is, is, is Comparable to some of the stuff we went down yeah. in Afghan, like absolutely comparable. Yeah, fucking mental. Do you know Brian Wood's story? Yeah, yeah. Um, that was he was uh, declassified. That's what I listened to on. Um, that's that's the only bit I know. But I would, it was episode one, one of a uh, declassified podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. just just listening to that because I was actually I was I was well, I was away working and I was in um in Greece somewhere, just just sat on an island, lo- living it up, like in in the sun. And just listen, listening to that, and I was just sat there. I remember sitting on a bench, just going, like, kind of staring into nothing, going, holy shit, that's fucking, like, just, it was, like, it's hard for me to comprehend that. I can't imagine, like, a civilian trying to, who's not had any experience in that, trying to comprehend that, and just like, fuck. And then and there's um, one of my guests, Lawrence Kayser, he was, um, he was, he was PWRR in Royal Anglin, but he he got um, discharged for combat stress. But he did he did like six tours, three tours of Iraq and three tours of Afghan. And we got an MC from it. But he was um he was uh yeah just fucking just some the stories he was telling you so like, fucking hell like it was just and it, and it's different like your 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 experience in Afghan was different to my experience in Afghan and yours was when it was very much you know like small arms fire just a lot of small arms fire and whereas my my time there was very much ied um orientated and it it kind of the the afghan war transitioned in different periods like and then when lawrence went back in i don't know and he was like eric 13 it was still predominantly small arms when it, i guess it's just the area that you're in eric 13 yeah eric 13 that yeah. was like 2011 yeah i know that's, that was my last tour. Yeah. 2010, 2011, yeah. I mean, it was small, yeah, it was small arms, but it was also ID. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, but, yeah, and Harry 13 was a winter tour as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, it was, yeah. I but, um, it, was, it was his last tour he went on. I think it might have been, yeah. but it was, I guess it was depends on where you were in the country as well. Yeah. And people's mm. memories as well, mate. Yeah, definitely right. can change. I, I, I've got a, I've got a, mate, a good, really good mate. He did the first ten episodes. He was co-host of the first ten episodes. Started this podcast with me, Jared yeah. Cleary, right? And we worked together in Afghan a lot. We worked together a lot, anyway. And um, one of the things that's transpired recently, actually, we were having a few drinks with some mates. And uh, Jared's memory, he 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 literally cannot remember contacts. Mm-hmm. He he. We there was four of us there. It was, we did episode one hundred. It was me, Jared Cleary, Luke Hardy, and Steve Llewellyn. Good good friends. And we all experienced similar stuff similar times out there and you know, we're all snipers and uh we would just start as you do bantering talk reminiscing about this that event and and jared can't remember jared cannot remember contacts he can't remember them he can remember everything else 
but he's got a block in his mind that cannot remember the details of a contact. That they even happened. So yeah. we'd be talking to some, about something, and he'd go, when was that? You were fucking there. You were there. You did this. You did that. You did this. He's gone, fellas, I can't remember. He can't remember. Like, blanked out. And not just one con- not just one event. Everything. Mm. Everything he's gone. Mental. And, uh, fucking mental. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and that's one of the things I said in, 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 in my, you know, one of my early ones is we all experience trauma differently. <laughs> And we all respond to trauma differently. You know, I'm um try I'm trying to trying to remember what I you know, I thing is I read a lot and I listen a lot and I forget a lot. <laughs> but um one of the things is you you remember trauma differently, but there's a lot of when you you try and ask someone about a traumatic event that happened a week ago, they'll probably forget most of it. But you ask them about it maybe a year later, they'll remember more. Sometimes you just block out it, but then it works in the other effects, and you like you'll make that he just forgets about certain things. And then it, so we all the the God, what what was I listening? Well, to? It, what I think what's happening with Jared is it, it, that's that's a that is a defense mechanism. Yeah, it's, it's not like. Oh, he's gradually forgotten. He's got no recollection of this stuff. Yeah. That's, that's, that's just, again, like you're saying, you respond to trauma differently. That is his brain shutting that shit off. Yeah. You know, completely. Ignore that bit because that was not a nice experience. Mm. Well, those were not nice experiences. But remember the good times. He yeah. didn't remember all the stuff around it, but yeah. not that, you know. Um, and the other one is how, the, how memories change over time. Mm-hmm. One of the things I learned over the last few years is um, when, you re- when you're remembering a memory, you're not remembering the original event. Mm. You're remembering the last time you remembered it, mm-hmm. which is why memories become skewed yeah. over time. And it's it's a really interesting one, and that can happen really quickly. I think I've, I think I've spoken about this before on the podcast, but I think I think I think I might have spoken on Reorg podcast. I was talking to you. There was a an event in Musakala, and uh, and it was a few week, just a few weeks before we got extracted out there, and we and uh, we got interviewed by the Royal Military Police later on because there was a death involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was two deaths involved, but it was just uh, it was a standard procedure. There was no like um, suggesting anything was done untoward. It was an enemy action, and I remember recounting the recounting the, each one of it. it was before, me and Jared found these two guys uh, who later died, and then we were joined by two medics. We called the medics to come help us try and save these guys, and uh, so they joined later on. Anyway, each one of those four had to go and talk through mm-hmm. the series of events mm-hmm. um we did that individually with the rmps and then we afterwards we still, afterwards we sat together and we just we were just chatting and then we started talking we hadn't talked about it before we started talking about that event and and, and basically in that conversation we had after it transpired that i had it completely wrong in my head like the sequence of events i had all i had i had the events correct x happened then y mm-hmm. happened then z happened and a and then b and then c and then d and all the things happened but i had them in the wrong order mm. And they and all those three guys and in my head that's exactly how I recalled it. This is a matter of weeks before. Exactly how I recalled it happening. And and Frenchie, one of the medics, is like, mate, that's not what happened. This happened first, then that, then that. And I was going, nah. I could picture it in my head. I was like, no way, no way. That is not what happened. This is what happened. Hmm. And then all three of them are going, no, you got it wrong. Like, Fuck. I mean, well, it wasn't. It was no great shakes. It wasn't like, like I said, there was no in, no uh, incrimination going hmm. on. But I, it, I thought, how, how I can remember that vividly, and yet. I remember it wrong. I remember it wrong. Yeah. Again, when you ex- when you when you're experiencing the event, 
your fo- your brain's focused on getting your ass out of it and getting people safe mm-hmm. or yourself safe, mm-hmm. and you, it's it's not focused on all right. Remember this yeah. details and yeah. exactly what happened. But then you sometimes you remember the r- most random of random of things, yeah. and you hear about people with uh, post traumatic stress disorder or some other me- you know mental illness caused by um, traumatic events, and they can be they can be set off into an emotional event by the smell of something. Yeah, the smell of uh, that remind you of something else. Uh, fireworks. I always uh, uh, cordite man. Fireworks. And I always smell oh, a cordite, and for me, that's uh, it's like a it's a familiar smell. It makes me happy. It's really weird. Yeah. Uh, uh, but for other people, cordite be like fucking hell, or the or the something that smells like dead bodies and mm-hmm. stuff. Man, it just sends them into something because it's similar. It's fucking bizarre. Remembering smells, yeah. you know what I mean? I could I do that if I tried. I know. Wait, well, <laughs> mate, fuck. You remember? The thing is, music as well. So, do you, do you have, do music's haven't put you in a. So it's funny. So I listen. There's a there's a specific. I think about this a lot. Specific. Often. There's a specific. Um, <laughs> it, it's not about talk, but there's a specific Offspring song that, I, that for some reason, every time I listen to it, it just reminds me of when I did my paper round when I was like thirteen. In Australia, just fucking doing my fucking paper round. But that song, I just, oh yeah, I was listening to that in like in yeah. Australia. Yeah, I, but also like Friends. If I watch Friends, when when we were on tour, we had my mate Egg had a, a um uh, an iPhone, but it had like oh, all the seasons of Friends on it, and we just sat there watching it. So whenever I just we used to like he used to pass me his uh, his uh, iPhone to watch, and then. Vice versa, you know, I just used to watch it. So every time I watch certain episodes of Friends, I'm like, oh, I remember this. Yeah, same. I think I think about a lot that the, like music thing. Like, well, for some reason, uh, maybe again, is this just me or is it everyone? Uh, but I grew up like in a really isolated environment, a farm in the middle of Wales or South Wales. Not much social interaction with anyone. And uh, but our, my old man's LP collection, right? And for some reason now, maybe it is everyone, but um, uh, events, significant times, like you were saying there's music associated with them mm-hmm. and that can be bad sometimes so uh i um i there's four awesome tracks that i discovered one week a few years back two or three years ago i can't remember when you reference to somebody got killed uh matt Tenro, i think it was matt Tenro got killed in, i think it's 2018 got killed in syria the hereford guy and um he was on my team before that before he went to hereford anyway this week I started listening to the release radar on Spotify, discovered these four amazing tracks. And to this day, they're like four of the best tracks I've ever heard. They're on my playlist. But the same week, after I discovered them, the same week I found out yeah. Mac got killed. And now when I view the tracks, they're amazing. And then it brings it back. Yeah. Fuck, it's like destroyed him. <laughs> <laughs> mate, I'd rather I did not. Yeah. I'd rather Mac was still here, but it's, it's yeah, just yeah. the point in the Cheers, music. Mate. Yeah, Cheers, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, mate. Well, did, yeah, music, music does trigger a lot as well. It's, but it's the one thing that can change my emotion on, on mm-hmm. like that. When I was driving you to come up to meet you for, for the podcast, well, mate, I was saying you're fucking super stressed in a minute. I was really tired, and in the car on the way up, I thought like I'll stick on, I'll stick on Spotify, and I thought I'll just put music on. I'll put some tracks I like to listen to, and it, and within the space of five minutes, change my mood. Got you. I was like, bah, bang, ready to go, just because I listened to her music. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I grew up. I was a proper like. What was I like, proper into Metallica? I love Metallica. It's like proper metalhead. We like you, up? <laughs> yeah. Well, no. So whenever I get pissed off and in a shit mood, honestly, I just this is I, I rarely listen to men now, but I do. I just whack it on. If I'm like not like sad, but if I'm pissed off, I'll just like put it blaring loud, and I'll be like, just take me back to being a teenager. I just listen to Metallica. Yeah. But I mean, 
Yeah. <laughs> um, what did you notice? Did you notice any difference between the way the officers recount their experiences compared to the NCOs? Um, do they do they articulate in a different way? Do they remember different types of stuff? Anything? anything um, like it's that? interesting. Yeah, because the the NCOs and the normal, and the, the, the bods they don't look at not that they don't look at it they don't care about the bigger picture. Whereas, you know, speaking of Tony, especially speaking of Tony, he was more about looking at why we were there. You know, so he 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 dove more into that. Um, so it was interesting seeing it from from that point of view. You know, when kind of when you're over there, you're you're just there to get the job done, do the job, or um, you're there because you wanted to be there. Whereas you're not really looking at the political side of things um, while you're there and. Um, and then with with Stu, you know, it was, it was it was more, you know, one of the things I said to both of them is, you know, you're you're a sergeant, weren't you? Yeah. You when you left, and I was only a lance chap. But you you know, NCOs, you grow to be a leader, you know, and some of the best leaders are ever NCOs. But being an officer, you you have to be a leader from the start, and you get some you get some good leaders, you get some bad lead, you know, you get some good officers, you get some bad officers, but. You're there, like one of the. So I, I was very fortunate when, when I deployed. A great, great um, platoon commander, and um, my platoon sergeant was my hero. You know, Simon Valentine who died on tour, but just we, you know, the first time we lost someone, we, you know, we got contacted. Um, it was on a, it was on a bridge on, on the on the Sang Canal path. You know, the contact and everything that the whole the whole. If we if we hadn't lost Susu, it would have been fucking amazing. But it was, we, you know, as soon as we found out we lost Susu, we, you know, our morale dropped and everything, as as you would expect. But then we had to go on patrol like the next day, and as an officer and a platoon sergeant, just trying to rally your men, I couldn't, you know, admit I couldn't imagine how hard that would have been for them to get that to do. But they were the, you know, they were both good leaders, especially Val. You know, he just spoke to you. As, as we would speak to each other, um, but yeah. So, seeing it from the officer's point of view, um, you know, when you do your own podcast, you're lucky because you get to speak to the people you want to speak to. You know, so I wouldn't. I guess I wouldn't get on an officer who's not a good person. So, the, the people I'm going to speak to are always going to be good people. Um, yeah. So it's very. It's, I guess it's a tainted look at the officer's view because it's officers I'm choosing to speak, speak to. If you know what I mean? No, yeah, I, yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. See, it, like, it was an interesting observation you made there that we, as in rankers, grow into being a leader, mm -hmm. where they're forced to, like they haven't got a choice. They're yeah. straight into it. That's yeah. what, I've never thought of it like that. Yeah, yeah, fuck that. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and like, you, you, you think about it, if you're, bear in mind you're. You're a platoon commander. You're 22. You're going in and you're you're trying to lead a fucking bunch of absolute re retrobates. <laughs> you know, fucking. Let's say you've you got fucking. Okay, you've got a platoon sergeant who's probably 28 to 30. Got a shitload of experience. You have got some full screws that are between the ages of 22 to 28, and then the rest of them are just. You've probably got a few senior toms and bods, but then you the rest of them are like just 19, 18. You got to control them, and you're only 23 yourself, and you just come out of university. Like fuck that. Uh, I yeah, 
um, they must cack themselves. Yeah. Like the, 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 the Sanders prepares you to be a leader, right? Uh, no, it prepares you to prepares you to lead, mm. prepares you to manage, manage, yeah, yeah and it prepares you to yeah, plan. Um, but like you're saying, there, mate, they can't. It, they, they must cack themselves coming out knowing they're going to go into a unit where the right hand man is going to be a platoon sergeant who's been in for X amount of years. Mm. Um, it, that cannot be easy. And I, I remember when I got promoted to platoon sergeant, I got the first platoon, and they got a new platoon commander, a guy called. Um, Smith, Mr. Smith. Fuck's his first name. Can't remember. He's, he's a cool guy. Was anyway, he CIA. Pardon? Mr. Smith. Hmm? No, he wasn't. No, no. Agent Smith. No. Uh, but I remember sitting there in the office, and he came in, and I, I wasn't that. I can't think of it now. I wasn't that old. I was. I was quite young. I was quite young between sergeant. But in terms of experience, I had a lot more than him. And I remember sitting in the office, and starting to brief him up on the platoon, and the absurdity. The absurdity. Of the situation hit me, like the, I, this guy's got a lead, and he's getting briefed off me. He's been in two fucking seconds, and I, and he looked young. And I, I when I was just God's honest truth, when I was trying to brief him up, I was smiling, and I couldn't, st- I couldn't stop the smile. Mm. And I had to say to him, ignore the smile, and just, <laughs> just ignore it. And I, I, like I am now, yeah. I fucking couldn't believe it. I was like, man, this is madness, madness, because that was. We'd done two tours of Afghan at that point. We were mm. getting ready for a third. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, what? Like, f- this is mental. Yeah. Why? Why is it you? And I understand how it all works, but at that point, when I was in the between sergeant's boots, and now explain, and I'm expect this guy, brand new guy, to come and take over. It's like, wow, yeah. wow. I mean, like you. So you, as a between sergeant, you, you learn, and you you can adapt the way you lead because of your experiences of how you see other leaders. And one of the, Stu, actually, before we finished, or as we were finishing the podcast, he asked me a question. He said, what, you know, I'm, I've been a leader, I've been an officer, um, but what's it from your point of view that makes a good leader? From He said, "What from I want to see it from your point of view and what makes a good officer, what makes a good OC or platoon commander? And I said to him, the, the thing that really mattered for the blokes is officers that cared. And you got different... Um, different types of leaders. You've got red leaders, which are the you know the autocratic. You do things my way, um, no other way. They get shit done, but no one you know they'll. A lot of people will struggle to follow them because they don't like them because they're not very nice people. And from my experience, the leaders that have always done well. You know, I've liked and I've tried to mirror myself is the uh, the ones that cared that cared about how you felt. Because it wasn't about, you know, because the job's got to get done, but you've also got to you know, do it. You've got to, you know, if, you, if you're not there in the headspace, it's not going to get done properly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you, you, yeah, I think the best leaders, uh, the, the, and they adapt to the situation. Mm. They adapt the situation, adapt the leadership style to the situation, the people they're leading, where they are. You know, um, and on, on what's been going on, all of that. But I think also another thing that, that makes a good leader is is apart from what what they how they act, it's what caused them is what has caused them to act like that. Mm-hmm. Who has been their leaders in the past? Like what has been their experience of being led? You know what I mean? Um, I was really lucky. Uh, I, I I was really lucky, and I had good. I think I had, for more the most part, good commanders all the way through, and I. 
like and they were of wildly different styles you know a guy there's a guy called al watson x3 power and um i never had him i never had him in 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 three para as as a commander but he was one of my screws in depot when i was in phase one and he was just he was just like missed super relaxed super laid back you know just like always had that didn't really give a fuck mm. a, a look on him but then he did because he just fucking pieced you I never had him in 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 in, in uh, battalion, but then when I got to battalion, I had opposite end, um, f- fucking hard and hard and fast, like take no shit commanders. He just just beast if he stepped out of line. Mm. If he didn't step out of line, he was on the ball, <laughs> you know. Uh, and again, and if you if you are in a if you if you have the wrong the wrong role models, yeah. you, you're gonna either be. You're gonna, you're not, you, you may not be the greatest fucking leader. You yeah, know? I mean, my most of my experiences, I, you know, I only did five years, so I'm, you know, I mean, my experience in the army are very slim to none. But what, what as leaders, is my time after the army where I've seen people who've managed me or lead, led me, and I'm like, well, I don't like the way you do it, or I don't like the way people feel about you, so I'm just gonna change that and I'm gonna adapt that and take that on, because. Yeah, because I only did five years, mate. I'm not a, like a, you know, I don't, I don't know too much about. You know, I experienced a handful of platoon commanders and platoon sergeants, so I try and even though the most of the people I hang out, you know, that I work with now, are ex-military, so you can kind of take take it from that. But um, you still got to try and adapt your way of leader leading through seeing different people. Mm. Not easy. No. It's not easy, mate. And then um, go, go back to the officers. <coughs> Those ones who ain't, who ain't cut out for it, <coughs> they find themselves in a position where they've got to lead and they fucking hate it. Yeah. I mean, and there's some 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 of them are terrible as well. Like one of the, I won't mention his name, but I wasn't there, but he, his first <coughs> one of the patrols, his mag dropped off his, his rifle and he was just not really well liked. And yeah, it wasn't a great one. <laughs> Um, do you work with? We talked about it before. Did you work with Paul Taylor when was Paul Taylor when you were in Spider? Yeah, spider, as we spider. call it, Spider. Oh, bloody yeah, Why is he called Spider? Spider. I haven't. I don't know. I don't know why we call him Spider Taylor, but um, <laughs> Spider, Mister Mister Brecken. No, he. I'd never like because he. Um, so he he was in battalion before my time, but he was he he just ran down Brecken. He did all the pre courses of the beat ups, and so he was the sergeant major for the training squadron or whatever it was then he did um yeah he was the the head ds i guess for my nco carter down there and just i just found it funny he's just a funny character yeah he was, i had him in your um oh God, a month ago now he's a funny character he's a i funny mean character. the thing the thing if i ever speak i want to do like a myths of spider taylor there's like so many myths around battalion of spider taylor it's like there's there's a myth that he once um that he once built an op in his back garden and just sat up there for the weekend yeah <laughs> there's all sorts ah, absolutely believable yeah <laughs> absolutely believable absolutely right yeah him and uh what uh what's his, his dog's called hercules he calls him king of the mountain doesn't he hercules king of the mountain dog lead you unless a dog lead you yeah fucking hell uh, yeah yeah um just his 
obviously the, the longer you spend in the army you, in the military you use you get to know different terminology and you you can bring that into your daily life but he just has a way of just making everything like a military terminology and just i just found it hilarious just you just sit there and he just, just start talking like little things like rebomb your water mouth you know your water bottle and i'm just like just start giggling you know i'm just there just rebomb your water bottle like, where was this just on the NCO card oh, yeah. it's like make sure you rebomb your water bottles <laughs> who says that <laughs> come on but it's like it's a way of bringing everything into it like the you know and he was was he um i can't remember so we were at Dixie's Corner or something, and then Sammy, my mate, was slagging off the DS in the in the in the toilets or something. And then Spider Spider walks out of the, the cubicle. He goes, McEwen, make sure you check your bat blast, and then walks off. <laughs> I just found it fucking comical. Have you had him on? Uh, you had him on Real no, yet? No. no. Are you going to get him on? I mean, yeah, it'll be good to get him on. Um, I've had a good story. So uh, John McAuliffe. He was, he's now the war, um, welfare officer of Fusiliers, uh, Ali. But he he just spoke, he just made a few uh, stories about Spider, about what they did in Kosovo and stuff. So it'd be interesting to get him on there. Mm. Yeah, I don't know, it might be, might be, might be something I'll look into. thing is, I also want to try and, because obviously I've done 13 episodes and probably nine of them are Fusiliers. So I don't want to be, I don't want it to be a Fusilier only podcast i'm trying to just be a bit more you know get more other people on yeah i i <coughs> bit of advice on that one so i i started i that's what i i did with hr it's like right this cannot be regtastic because mm-hmm. as much as the reg blokes would love that it it in term, the reg blokes aren't the only experience i can i can go and tap into mm-hmm. and like we were talking about earlier people have different experiences and and different have different things to contribute right um, and so I went on a mission to like I, I'm really conscious of can't be Reg Book every episode. Do you know what happened, mate? Fucking bootnecks. <laughs> Honestly, I ended up having loads of bootnecks on. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how it happened. I don't know. And I had, had hardly any Reg Books on. So now I don't care. Yeah. Like, because as the podcast has grown, so has my network of mm-hmm. military people outside of the Reg. Mm-hmm. Right. As you start off, invariably your network is predominantly Fusiliers. It's just yeah. one of those things. But as it's gr- I wouldn't worry about it, mate. I wouldn't. Mm. Honestly, I wouldn't. Yeah. Because. Uh, you might end up like me, end up with a bunch of fucking, I don't know, I don't know, Anglians or PWR yeah. or fucking bootnecks I mean, again, mate. I've got, I've got some good ones. Bootnecks like, love the limelight, yeah, though. They I fucking know. love it. That's the other thing. They fucking love it. <laughs> okay, what is it? Um, have you seen that? Did I send it to you? I don't think I did. You know that Game of Thrones? Have you ever seen that Game of Thrones thing? I'll see if I can. You know, they've got like uh, images of, of um, Game of Thrones and what they could be. No. Oh, mate. Oh, what the uh, units? What, what yeah. each character, yeah. what unit they are? No, I've not oh, seen that. Mate, it's fucking hilarious. Where is it? So, this is great podcasting. Where is it? Oh, who did I send it to? I send it. So, because obviously I've got a lot of paramates and um, marine mates, and I've, the marine one's just the best. Because <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Is there? They're good fighters, but they're a bit gay. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I think I have seen that. Yeah, I think I have seen that. Oh, I have seen it. Anyway, and powers is what was it? Which ones are powers? Um, oh fuck no, 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 no. terrible. Yeah, but um, but one of the guests I've got, I'll, I'll get in the new year is a is a TA lad, and he he reached out to me and you know he said, oh, have you ever thought about getting into someone from the TA? And you know I, I said to him, 
I hadn't thought of that before. But yeah, like the thought of, can you imagine doing what you did? Going away for six months. Because he, he was with the, I think it was the Lanks, and he was on Herrick 11. And he was immensely just go out there for a six month. And and I think he was just meant to stag on. But he ended up being in a rifle platoon and going out on the ground and getting smashed. And uh, can you imagine doing your tour and then going back to your civvy job like two weeks later or whatever, you know, after you come back for six months and just trying to get that process of being a normal civvy again? Like, yeah, I couldn't. Like, so, I'm, so yeah, so that would, that would be interesting, getting, you know, getting it from his point of view and how we try to integrate back into being a civvy. You know, when, even if you did your six-month tour, you signed off when you got back, you still got a year to become a civvy, and that even though that's going to be hard, yeah. But, but I think, uh, yeah, no, yeah, no, it's hard. But I think even, man, I think uh, just for some of my own experiences, even just coming back from being on an operation like that, just coming back to not being on the operation, yeah. going from being on the operation to not, that was our, I found that hard enough. Yeah. Well, I was still in. Yeah, I was still in. Yeah. It's like fucking hell, uh, because it's just the the shock and the, not the shock, just the difference in what you're doing. Just. Life not on ops is complicated. Yeah, on ops. Life on ops is very, very, very simple. simple. Very simple. Yeah. Simple is not very easy, right? It's very simple. Yeah. And that was one of the things that I really, really struggled with. Um, but going, going on, uh, on, going back there, you talked about uh, you know, going to your civic job, and so you, you, you leave and you have six months or year before you get out. I think it was Tom Martinson I was talking to, and Tom Martinson's ex Raf Reg, mm-hmm. and. Um, Suffers with uh, suffered with uh, complex PTSD. He manages it really well. He he runs Lift Off. Fil- he owns Lift Off Films now. Mm-hmm. Does film a fucking brilliant guy. Fucking brilliant guy, right? And um, I think what happened to him. I think it was him. Basically, left the mill. S- some fucking crazy shit. Like well, left the, left the tour. Some crazy shit. I wish I could remember the bloody story now. And then ended up in uni within a matter of weeks. Mm. So not just back in his job. In a civvy job, he's in uni, uni. with students, <laughs> and he's like five, ten years younger than whatever, and he's going, "What the fuck is going on? What yeah. is going on? I could that I could not do." Yeah, well, I mean, I, I was when I left the army. I was meant to, I, I I was leaving. I left to play professional rugby. That didn't transpire. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And then I wanted to go to uni, and then the thought I was just about you know I was doing all the process, and then the thought of just going to university, I was just like, oh, I can do it. So I so I didn't pull the plug on that. Why? What was the what was what did you not like about it? Why do people? Why do people? What is it that makes people struggle? To come back to that. The of irony of it, the irony of it is, I didn't do it because I didn't want to rack up loads of debt and be like in in the army where I was in a full time job, and then go to university and then rack up loads of debt because it was it was the year when it went from three thousand to nine thousand. That just co- coincided perfectly with me leaving the military. I was like, fucking brilliant. And then I was like, the thought of me being in like 30 grand a debt to, to do it. And then I was like, <laughs> the irony or the irony is I then struggled as I left and I was end up doing this minimum wage job. And, you know, it was just like, fuck, I should have just done it. But, you know, you can't. But yeah, so it was just the thought of going to being at uni. Being, I, was, I would have been 23, which wouldn't have been too bad. I would have been still young, but I just thought about the debt and then ended up moving to London and racking up debt anyway. So I was like, fucking hell. What, what did you leave for? 
What did you get out for? So I, le- I left to play professional rugby because um, I played in the army for the under 23s and the combined service under 23s, the army A team. Um, stupidly, I was like, do you know what? I'll give it a go because I want to. Because obviously you're you're a big rugby fan. You, but in the powers, rugby's not big. It's, it's in in infantry. In England, the English units, it's not big. If you're a Welsh unit, you're all Welsh. They fucking love rugby. You get loads of time off. Fusiliers, I got, but like, it was almost, as you would expect, I was, I was looked down upon because I was playing rugby. Because, oh, you're getting away, you're getting time off. And I was like, well, I'm never going to, I didn't want to, I didn't want to transfer because I was, a, like, that, I didn't want to go to another unit to then, so I was like, I'll give it a go and I'll get out. And, and uh, yeah, that didn't happen because my injuries weren't, I thought I would have been okay. But after playing, I'd had a shoulder operation before I left. And then it had about a year of rehabilitation. And then I just couldn't, like, just couldn't handle tackling 17 stone blokes. Playing league? Uh, union. Union. Yeah. Um, like, for, for instance, when I played... So I got, it was the first time I got picked for the combined services under 23s and uh, it was to play at Twickenham and you needed like two weeks off before. My unit, I was always, we're, we're, on, we're on an exercise in Salisbury playing. What's the Tezex in Salisbury playing? We're on that. And because um, it's important. And they would, they gave me, <laughs> the time they gave me off was right. I got, so I, Forgot about it. They, I was meant to get the whole time off the exercise to go do it, but it was like a two-week exercise or whatever, and they didn't didn't give me it. The OC pulled me in the office the day before the game. It's like, oh, HP, we're going to give you the time off to go play the game. Like, I'm obviously not going to get picked. So they, I went, and I um, I was sat on the bench. I was like, you just ruined my chance to play at Twickenham. And, and then, luckily, I did get another opportunity. I was like, Wee. but, um, but yeah, it, rugby's not a big thing in the English units of the infantry. It's weird, isn't it? Sports. Yeah. Sports are frowned upon, mm. depending, uh, unless it's the sport that your unit likes. Yeah. So, three power boxing. Yeah. Right? And um, when I, we're going to talk about when I took over that platoon, when I took over the platoon, now that conversation with Mr. Smith, when I was laughing my tits off, um, the sergeant major, this guy called Steve Tidmarsh, and he was also running the boxing team, hmm. mate. I would come in on a fucking, in the morning, the blokes would parade, my platoon would parade, and there'd be people missing. They'd be like, what the fuck? It only happened at certain times of the year when the boxing team's kicking in, getting ready for hmm. the season or whatever. Like, where's, uh, where's X, Y, and Z person? Fucking Joe's, fucking Joe bag, Joe one, two, and three. Uh, oh yeah, they got dick for the boxing by Tilly. And I'd, I'd be like going on exercise or going to do some training or whatever. And I'd have half my platoon missing. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? Because yeah. they mean dick. I couldn't say anything because the sergeant major, he's one of the boxing team. And they'd be all be in there getting thrashed. But um, you talk about rugby, 7 RHA. Big, big rugby, rugby team. Yeah. Rugby, mate. Um, yeah, three pies boxing, two pies boxing. Oh, I tell you what, randomly, power reg is all over. Randomly, fucking bobsleigh team. <laughs> <laughs> really? Bobsleigh team, the Bobsleigh team. Yeah, what is all that about? Yeah, and I think a bunch. Of, we got at one point we had, a, I think, half of the Bobsleigh, the Army Bobsleigh team was, was um, was Reg, I think. But yeah, we had a fucking Bobsleigh team. They were brilliant. Yeah, random, random. Just because they just need big men and 
fit men to fucking push it. Well, you're, you're stereotyping there. You're stereotyping <laughs> there, Dave. Big men. <laughs> yeah, fucking hell. Question for you. Why yeah. did you uh, Why did you start the podcast? What did you want to achieve? What What did you want to achieve, right? What was your objective? And has it changed now? Um. So, so I started it. So, I didn't, like like many units in in the British military, the minute we're suffering from you know, a lot of suicides, um, be that PTSD related or just other issues related, um, and it, it got to a point. You know, I think we're near double digits in the last you know few years. Um, I asked. I actually asked. Sorry to interrupt. I actually asked Paul about this because when I went down last year, I was down with what when, what it was then Team Rubicon UK. Now React disaster response. I was doing a training course with them. I knew Paul is usually I knew Paul is open to talking about stuff like this. Mm-hmm. He hasn't got his head in the sand. He's a measured guy. And I said, I just asked him that. What what's what's the you having dramas with mental health, suicides, and that within the, within the fusiliers? That's as simple as I put it. And he went. He shook his head and went, "Mate, it's a fucking nightmare." Mm. Because and the reason I asked is from my my perspective. Listen to people I know that, that I know personally who've who've taken the lives or tried. Um, fucking hell, it's far too fucking many. Mm-hmm. Just the people I know, and it, it means the uh, so wider throughout the regiment must be fucking so many more I don't know about. I don't yeah. know about. It's like fucking hell. But is how widespread is that across across Asian forces? Because it's hard to tell how bad it is or how. You know, it's hard to tell how, how difficult things are, how serious things are. When again, it goes back to like the, the sort of the vegan thing, fucking um, outrage getting thrown up, and statistics and this and the other. It's hard to understand what's gen and what's not, and it's the mm-hmm. same with military suicides, military mm-hmm. military or veteran suicides. It's hard to tell what's real. That's why I asked him. He just shook his head. We're fucking. That's a nightmare. Well, what have you been saying that ten years ago? Ten years ago, we we I don't imagine like people at that stage who've been in before. Iraq, Afghan, ask the same question, they would have been going, oh, it's a fucking nightmare, mate. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, yeah. It is a fucking nightmare. It, it is a nightmare. I think. And this is the analogy that, I, that I've that i used recently is we've all got your pint glass. You've all got a glass. You've all got a glass. It doesn't. People's glasses are different sizes and you can all take a load of shit in that glass, but eventually it'll fill up and it'll overspill. And if you look at the... If you look at people who have taken their own lives, PTSD a lot of times is not is not the factor reason why, but it doesn't mean it doesn't contribute to it. You know, you get you go on tour, you or it all you know your life before the army, you could have put shit in that glass. You you go on tour that puts more shit in the glass, and then you go home, and then you have issues, G one issues at home. And you know, one one of the lads, um, he, he took his own life recently, and it was because he was having um, custody issues with his kids. So it kind of tipped him over the edge. So it it was getting to a point where I'm like, there's no. It, I was listening to the Joe Rogan podcast as as everyone does, and there was a lad named Trevor Thompson. Um, he was a SEAL or something, and he said, "I really appreciate what you're doing for the veteran community." And ironically, I I looked and I couldn't, I didn't know there was anything out there. And subsequently, I've recently, you know, I know there's obviously a lot, a lot in the UK, 
and I didn't know that at the start. So I was like, "Fuck it, I'll do my own." And the pop, do your own what podcast? Oh, sorry, right, yeah. yeah. So, I'll, so I'll do my own podcast, and I want to get, and you know, like like I've said, I'm not this battle-hardened veteran. I fucking only did one tour, and it was a pretty hairy tour, but I know a lot of them. That you know, I know a lot of people who have done a lot of shit. And I'll get to know a lot more people. And you've got the celebrity soldiers out there, but you've also got a lot of soldiers that stories will never get heard of. But there's a lot like, and I, and I felt we know a lot about World War One. No, no, we we know a lot about World War Two, World War One less so because just of the time period. And I I, I just felt I didn't want to I didn't want to lose people's stories from the Afghan War because it was you know two thousand and three, four, to, to, I mean, yeah, until 2015, really, when it was, you know, so we had 12, 13 years of fighting, that there's a lot of stories out there for people to, to tell, and if I can get people like yourself on, who can talk about shit that went wrong and shit that happened, then maybe someone who's struggling can talk to, talk about, because no one, no one talks to their family about it. No, I'm, I'm very lucky. I, my brother served with me. So we, we, you know, and my mate Sammy, he's got a best mate who's power edge. Um, anyway, so the best mate, so they talk about it. And I talk to my brother, you know, I talk to my brother about it. So I've got that person. But if you, you've done 10 years in the military, you leave, you go back to, like everyone does, they, you know, weekends they go, go home and they've got their civvy mates and you've got your military mates. <coughs> but you leave the army You've only got your civvy mates. And to talk to them, you, you don't talk to them anyway because you've not talked to them about it. Um, and your family don't know about it. So I feel if I can get people like yourself or people who've been in combat, saw, seen combat and talk about it and f show it's okay to talk about it, then other people can talk, feel it's okay to talk about their experiences. Because as men, specifically, we're shit at talking. You're not talking about talking about experiences, though. You're talking about the effect of the experiences, right? Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. As in how it made you feel. <coughs> because that's... Yeah. How it, how it made you feel. Because if we can talk about that shit, then when we're finding it hard at home from for, for other shit, maybe it can make it easier to talk about, you know, pick up your phone to your, to your mate, I'm having issues with my, you know, my missus or whatever. Um... You know, I know, I know, I know. I was very much a, you know, before like, I'm, I'm, I'm an open-minded person. I like to change my mind a lot. And before your, um, before you came on with me, I was very much a case. You know, in my head, I'm like, you know, we just need to pick up the phone. And you, you made a valid point. It's like, it's all well and good saying that, but you, when you're at that point, you don't want to pick up the phone, and it's, it's fucking hard to do. So. You know, and, and then, uh, as I've changed, my, my theories now change. It's like we just need to make it less of a an issue to do. And if it becomes, if it becomes more normal to talk about how you feel, I know it sounds. It's hard. It's really hard to talk. <clears throat> it's really hard to talk about it in a not fluffy way. I can yeah. see the pain in your face. You're yeah. trying to you're trying to say it in a way that is not fucking gay. Yeah. You're, basically, right? You, you know what I mean? Pardon the expression, but. This is part of the problem. It's like this is part of the problem. Is um, I really feel like the way the campaigns have gone to try and 
to try and combat this uh, mental health awareness. It's all mm-hmm. we're talking about is mental health. People be more aware of their own mental health, mm-hmm. right? Or whatever stage it's at. Not assuming everyone's got it bad, but just mm-hmm. be more aware of it. So if it does get bad or whatever, and you can fucking deal with it, right? But I really feel like the camp, the way they go about the campaigns, they, they're doing it in a in a language in a manner that would work if you were trying to target women, mm. but not men. Yeah. Like it's so like uh, men cry too. Like what? Do you think that message? I'm trying to remember which one that was. Do you think that message is going to resonate with any fucking man? What are you talking about? That is, this is like who put that campaign together? Mm. What marketing fool put that campaign together? It's the wrong way to go about it. And to clarify, when, when people like you and I, who, who know, when we're talking about like talking, when you're talking about, oh, people, you know, so you do your reorg podcast and then people can hear and they can resonate and then they know it's okay to talk with other people. It's not a, when you're talking about, and correct me if I'm wrong, excuse me, when you talk to other people, to me, that is this, is this okay? Going and talk. This is how I act now, in 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 my own journey and how I act now. This is what going and talking to other people means to me. How are you, Hugh? I was strict, mate. Bit shit at the minute. Mm. Finding things a bit hard, but be alright. That's it. Mm. That is it. Mm. That's it. It's not. <laughs> it's not that. It's just. It's uh It's being honest and open, right? And uh, when that. Is me acknowledging I got I'm not great at the moment, mm-hmm. and two I'm communicating that to someone so someone knows. I'm not expecting a fucking hug. Mm-hmm. I'm not expecting Safa to be knocking on my door. I'm not expecting the unit welfare officer to go, "Hugh, is everything all right?" No, it's a uh, it's that little one I'm acknowledging myself. I'm being honest and open, and that is in itself a, a weight off me just by saying it because I'm understanding it. And two, someone else knows. Yeah, it's it's no. That's it. Doesn't have to be all this fluffy bullshit. And when you're talking about like that, that people listening and resonating, I understand exactly, mate. It's one of the reasons I started this. Did the podcast. I was in. I was in. It's about people being comfortable and being honest about how they're fucking feeling, yeah. right? At, at minimal, simple level, like I just like I just sort of explained. I was in HR4K, Ben Garwood's place, HR4K in Colchester. It was about a. I think I've been doing the podcast about a year. Guy walked in, Reg look. I hadn't seen him. We didn't. We weren't mates, right? But we we um, sort of bump uh, uh, bump shoulders in in the battalion a few times, and uh, he walked in at HR4K. I was like, "Fucking hell!" I, I don't want to name him. He probably wouldn't mind, but I don't want to name mm. him. I was like, "Fucking hell!" How's it going, mate? And he, uh, yeah, but, <sighs> things are a bit fucking tough at the minute. But um, I was like, but you know, I'm I'm dealing with it. And that was the first thing he said to me. I ain't a muckajeebus. Right, and the only reason he said that out loud is because he knew I, I'd be I talk about it openly on the podcast, mm-hmm. and that is a fucking reg bloke. Oh, let's take reg bloke away. That is a fucking ex-military bloke who would otherwise it never ever I would never ever expect someone to say that out loud mm-hmm. to me mm-hmm. or out loud at all. And he said it to me in normal conversation, and inside I went fucking yes, yeah. yes, because that would have happened five years ago if I had never started the podcast. That guy would never say that to me yeah. ever. Regardless, he's saying it to me. It's igno- igno- it's never, it doesn't matter who he's saying it to. The point is, he felt confident enough to say that out loud. Yeah, it's like fucking hell. And then, then that's fucking awesome. That is exactly what it's about. Exactly. And I don't think any. Sorry, I don't think any less of him for it. People don't. I'd like to think people don't think any less of things uh, of me when I talk about. I, I, you know, when I found things hard mm-hmm. because 
because it's it's fucking it's just what it is. It's just it's just what it is. The difference is for blokes is it, it's the we find it incredibly difficult, and especially military, especially ex military, whatever branch you are, navy, RAF, or fucking army, right? It's incredibly difficult. Uh, one for a man, two for military, is to um, be honest and open about a weakness, a perceived weakness. Yeah. It's just what exactly what it is, yeah. and and it is a it is a, a weakness in a way, but it's also a fact of fucking mm. life. It's a fact of life. Yeah, but it's a weakness and. That needs to be worked on. But we all know. have weaknesses. Yeah, That's exactly. just, and, and that happens to be that one. One that of the things time. you that serenaded with me with what you said was, it's it's not about like like he 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 said, um, you know, his, his times are tough, right? Then you can reach out to his mates, and you can you can show that. That's what really resonated with me with you is like. So what I did after that is I did a um, I sent a message to like quite a lot of contacts in my group, just uh, in my phone, just saying that. Bloody blah, if you need anything, you know, whatever, if you if you're ever feeling down. But it's but it's about, you know, what you said is you can just ask your other mates around him to just like spit down, just look out for him. Maybe invite him, you know, you could have just invited gone out for a drink or whatever, which you wouldn't have normally done. Not that you wouldn't do it, but you can you know, just that little bit extra. Just so give them something to look forward to. Uh, the, yeah. And uh the I'm glad we got this actually because people often don't know what they do, hmm. right? And there are there are really the hardest situation is we get someone who's blatantly got a got an issue going on for whatever reason. It could be alcoholism, could be substance abuse, could be just fucking depressed, could mm-hmm. be always unhappy, always angry, always which and these are like you know I mean th- we talk these things happen occasionally, but we're talking constant days, fucking weeks, and you just you know as a mate of his or someone knows him, there's a fucking problem, here, mm-hmm. right? But that person doesn't want to accept that. Doesn't want to uh, like not own up to it. Doesn't want to acknowledge it. Just going to fucking crack on. But from the outside, you can see it. Yeah. And it's <clears throat> from a charity perspective or welfare perspective because there's a similar thing going on at the moment. If they aren't willing to uh, go, ah, I could be living life better, mm-hmm. which is what it is, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a oh, fucking I'm a clip. I could be living life fucking better and you sort myself out. If they ain't willing to accept that, um, y- you can't force them to have treatment. You, you can't do it. No. And it makes it really hard when you see someone going down the pan and you can't force them to have, uh, 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 when I say treatment, fucking I about treatment, it could be anything. You can't force them to get help. Yeah. Right? Um, but in those situations, uh, again, like it's going on, on now with um, people I know, and I don't know the person involved. Uh, I don't know that, sorry, I don't know the person who's in clip. Uh, but I know people who know him, they've asked, asked me just for advice and I'm, I'm not a fucking welfare office, right? But, but it's like my, my advice to them was one notify people does 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 your regiment HQ know mm-hmm. like just tell them right and then they said the problem is he won't he won't have any of it it's like he's he's been he's he's going down the planet work he's causing problems um, blah 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 and in those situations all you can do is like you were saying notify people so they got it's on the it's on it's on their radar right. It's on the welfare office radar. It's on fucking a charity's radar. Yep, but they can't again force the help. And then you, the circle of friends around him, they are the people. Then they just they just need to rally, stay in touch. 
and it's not, mate. You've got you've got a fucking problem you need to sort out. That ain't gonna work. They'll go farther and further away. They they're gonna even even less communication. They'll go harder on the bottle. They'll go harder on the fucking drugs. They'll go harder on whatever mm. and whatever bad shit's going on that's exacerbating the issue. But all you can do is maintain constant communication, regular constant communication, not fucking banging on the door all the time, but just enough so they ain't getting pissed off by it, but enough so that you can monitor what's going on. Mm-hmm. So if something takes a turn for the worst, bad, then you can go, hey, buddy, mate, are you in fucking, I don't know, are you in Aberdeen? Because John, he, no one's over for three yeah. days and he's been going down the pan and no one can get hold of him. Can you go around and knock on his door? That's it. You can't do anything else than that. It's a, it's a monitoring situation and keeping in comms. Mm. Um, sometimes it works and people come out the other end of it, all right? And then, and there's different reasons people do that. There's a, a mate, a mate who I hadn't spoken to for fucking eight years um, recently, and uh, he he was in clip, and I ended, I didn't know because I I hadn't spoken to him for eight years. Last time I seen him I was on the circuit in Iraq. Went down. Uh, someone messaged me. I can't remember how the fuck I knew, I got told about it, but he's not living far from me. Um, anyway, I got his number. I texted him, and um, I ended up going down the next morning. And he was not in a good way, and. He was just drinking himself into oblivion. Like mm-hmm. he was, and he had done stuff before that to, to fucking try and end things. But it's like, mate, the fuck? And he, he was just embarrassed. Um, so <coughs> I, so I, I'm embarrassed, mate. Ooh. I, I don't. Well. And he was. Right. <coughs> <Sorry. laughs> he said, uh, he said, I'm just embarrassed, mate. Mm. Embarrassed about what? And he's embarrassed about the fact that. He's, he's a man in with nothing, a man in in tatness, a man with literally nothing, you know. Not seen his wife, not seen his kids, uh, you know, living on his own, can't even go to work. He's signed off on work. He got, you know, he's struggling with money. Just and he's just he can't sleep. He struggles. He struggles to sleep. He, well, mm. he can't sleep. So he started drinking to be able to get to sleep. Doesn't work. Now he's just drinking. Well, not now, but. He's just drinking all day constantly and not wanting to speak to anyone for one reason, embarrassed. It's like, mate, you're not the only one. Yeah. This is not uncommon. It's like people struggle with stuff. You, you can't fucking solve it unless people know. Yeah. And again, it goes back to that. It's ain't, it ain't a sob story. I'm here to help you, mate. I'm here because I give a shit. You know, I, I, you know I'm, I don't feel sorry for you. I don't, think, I don't think you're any less of a person than you were eight years ago. You're the fucking same guy. You're just on hard times. And you can't get out of it on your own. You cannot, in most these situations, get out of it on your own. Mm. Almost all of them. I couldn't have done it if it wasn't for people, mates, some partic- specific mates, not a load of them, but it takes something, one person or, or one or two people just to connect with something, mm. to keep saying, speaking to you, and just to connect at one point. And you go, fucking hell. And then you, you make a decision, you make the right decision, it starts, you're on the, on the opposite spiral. You can't fix it yourself. This stuff you can't, no. because it's mental. It's not a mental health. Your brain plays fucking tricks on you, and it'll convince you that there's no option. There's no, there's no way out. Mm-hmm. That's what it does. There's no way out, and you just keep going down. It's the only way you know how. The only way you know which way to go, because that is fucking impossible. Yeah. Because oh, all of the options and all of the solutions are no longer on the radar. You can't see them because your brain's clouded by whatever, by thoughts, by feelings, by fucking alcohol, by anything, by family situations going on emotional situations going on fucking work situations going on and everything becomes a fucking nightmare and there's no way out and it takes people around you to show you there's normality and there's options and there's ways to get out there's ways to get help and it all comes that's what it comes down to making the right decision but you can't do it yourself most of the time 
I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't no. fucking be here if it hadn't been for mates. Yeah. And, then, and your your episode with, with me was quite an eye-opener, if, if I'm honest. Because, so, I, so I'm on, I, I was on the other spectrum where I was, you know, I had, um, I lost my mum when I was 19. And my brother was 18, my sister was 13. And we had, my mum was engaged. And uh, the guy who she was engaged to tried to commit a suicide, like not long after. So I was, you can see where it was, you know, it was, it was really hard for him. But, you know, my brother, he was 18 at the time, found him in the kitchen. Sorry, found him in the kitchen with the pills and everything on the floor. And, and I was just like, in, in my head, I'm like, what? How, how would that have helped us? Like, how would that have helped us? So, so that was always my kind of outlook. And I was like, it kind of felt, to me, it was a selfish thing. But the more I've learned, the more I've listened, the more I've read. It's, you know, the, when at that time, they don't, f it's, it's the only thing they can see. And, you know, and, and I think the more we, we get to understand it, um, the more we can help people who are in that position. But it's not going to help itself. And, you know, we need to talk about it more, as I think, as a society, because suicide biggest killer of men under 40 it's, it's not going it's not going away and there needs to be something like there's no there's no government scheme to stop suicide but there's government schemes to like for there's there's government schemes to stop heart heart disease there's government schemes you know stop but suicide's the biggest killer of men under 40 and there's nothing out there so there there is but I'm, what i'm saying is not like a there's no government scheme to help men in struggling times. It's not widely spoken about. It's still like a taboo subject, but it happens and it's going to continue to happen. And we need to do something about it where we're... It's knowledge. <coughs> it's knowledge. Um, it's like no, it's knowledge of your own self. You look at... I can speak to my daughters now. One's 11. Well, she's 12 now. Sure. 12. Just turned 12. The one's 15. I can talk to them now and say, uh, how do you... How would you deal? I could ask about physical injury. What are you going to do if you, you know, what would you do if you strained your calf? You know, if you fractured your leg or, or X, Y, Z, bumped your arm or I don't know, what cut yourself? How would you deal with that physical, that physical injury, physical <coughs> illness, right? And they could answer me. They would answer me in a rudimentary way at least or in a good way. I was going to say about fucking mental health. What are you going to deal with it if you, if you feel really, really shit? <coughs> First off, well, even before, how do you deal with something? It's it's, I mean, it's being aware of it. Yeah, it's being aware of it. Like I went through years, mate, years and years and years of having an underlying, just underlying feeling of unhappiness, underlying anxiety. Never dealt with it. It's always there, hmm. and that was and 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 I I still get those periods now, especially with anxiety, but I'm aware of it. And so when I'm aware of it, I know I, I know I need to fix this. What is causing it? Mm -hmm. It's awareness of your mental. It's, it's just being aware of your mental health. And that 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 knowledge needs to start in school. Mm -hmm. It has to start in school. Yeah. It has to start at the youngest age because it impacts you at every age, mm -hmm. not just when you're 30, 40. It impacts you when you're a kid. You know? And if we start bringing in mental health awareness, 
I'm not saying, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying fucking everyone should meditate and do fucking yoga and all that, but bringing mental health awareness at a young age, my God, I think it would really transform society. But, but more so, it would make it okay to talk about. You know what I mean? It would make it, but the more it's there, the more it's out there, the more it's acceptable to talk about, the more it's, you know, you, you throw things, not throw things in people's face, but, you know, there's, if, if it's, if, if it's, Pushed under the carpet, it's going to be forgotten about and it's not going to be talked about and it's been going to continue to be a t- taboo subject and people aren't going to talk about it. But the more it's openly spoken about, it doesn't have to be, you know, an hour a day sitting there, you know, going through lessons, but it's just more... One of the, one of the things I said to... You know, I, I see it from different perspectives, but... I said, John, John McAuliffe's now... Uh, He's the welfare officer at the sec- uh, first battalion of Fusiliers, but you know he was on my podcast. Um, and he, what he's doing more, he's just putting, you know, you get your regimental letters, your welfare letters that you go, to, I guess, to the houses and padwise and you know the pads and stuff. But he's he's just going to put like a mental health, not helpline, but like numbers for it, so it becomes. So there's always something there, but if there's always something there, then it's, you know, it's not. If all of a sudden you don't talk about, you, you then throw like a page of mental health, and all this is it just gets brushed aside. But if it's always there, then that may help one person. It's always going to be, if, if you know, if it's a double uh, sided page and half of it's about mental health, then it's it's always going to be there and it's always going to be in someone's mind. And when people are struggling, instead of them not knowing where to turn, they can they've always got this, but they've always you know it's. If it's if it's more of, more of the norm, then it'll be accepted, you know, eventually. And and the problem won't be as serious what it is. So the reality is of what I'm at now. But <coughs> everyone's mental health fluctuates, mm-hmm. regardless of who you are. You know, the most resilient person in the world, or the least resilient person in the world, mentally resilient, right? Everyone, me- everyone's mental health fluctuates. But the more w- the situation where I am now compared to where I was before, I can I see a lot earlier when anxiety is building up mm. or not unhappiness is too general a term, but anxiety or stress or whatever, I see it building up a lot earlier than when, it bec- than when it becomes a massive issue. I see it coming and I can deal with it a lot earlier. So my, so it just stops me getting to that, the bottom of the pit that I was before. It just stops me a lot earlier. Yeah. But, and everyone's on that journey to the bottom of the pit. They just they deal with things in different ways, right? Yeah. And, and, and those people who, those people who may have experienced stuff that accelerates, it just means they're on a, there's a steeper slope to the bottom of the pit. You know, and they, they end up there faster than what maybe other people would, like traumatic experiences mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And they don't know and not aware, consciously aware of um, their emotions and what they're feeling. They just fucking end up there. And the first thing they know about that they, they feel shit is when they feel super shit. Yeah. And they've, and they've fucking pissed up. And they've lost their wife. Or they lost their girlfriend. Or they ain't seen the kids. Or fucking X, Y, Z. Yeah, well, they lost their job. You name it. You know, and that, that mental health awareness, people will just see it earlier. They'll just be aware, like you said, they'll just be fucking more aware. They'll see it earlier. And then generally, less people are in the bottom of the pit. Yeah. You've got a healthier society. And it's just, uh, that's where it needs to start, in my, in my opinion, schools. Just fucking teach it. Why aren't we? Yeah. Fucking 2020. Yeah. 2021. Yeah. Why aren't we teaching it? What's more, why, why have they not realized the benefits from a, even just a money perspective? How much more productive the society would be, the country would be, is if everyone was everyone's mental health, the general state of mental health across the UK was just a little step higher. That's what will happen every mm-hmm. year if you bring it in. You start bringing it in at the young ages, 
the next generation will be resilient as fuck. Mm. <laughs> It'd be like the next Japan. Look at Japan. Yeah. You know, they're fucking ninjas. Yeah. Like literally. <laughs> <laughs> but they've got really, you know, they've got a really good he- mental health track record, but they're really, ac- just they ju- because of the way their culture is, they do a lot of stuff that just, it helps with mental health, very active. They did load, did loads of shit, but that's a pretty poor example to use. Actually, because I don't know much about it. But you see my point. Yeah, you know, I, know what you, I know what you're saying. And the, the more it's okay, and the more it's known, the the, m- the better it will be in the long run. I think. And you know, and that's that's really why I wanted to start it, the podcast, and be a bit more. You know, talk about the hard shit. Because it would so it's one of the statistics I use is you've got so th- there was a King's uh, London College study that that showed uh, I think it was nine point it was like a eleven percent of no anyway I'm ruining it but it's about eleven percent no it's about nine percent. People, veterans suffer from PTSD. Right, it was uh, yeah, nine, no, 7.4%. There we go. 7.4%. 7.4% of, I don't know how they got the statistic, but 7.4% of veterans suffer from PTSD. Which seems, it, I, I can't see it myself, cause, but only 5% of soldiers see combat. So there's, the, 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 they don't marry up. And I feel. We need to. I don't know how we're going to say this in the right way. Again, if if those if those statistics are true, there's a lot of people who have suffered from PTSD that don't have not seen a traumatic event, and so, so a there needs to be better study to just to prove that that's right. But also, if I can get you to talk about your experiences doing fucking getting taken out of Muscala in a jingly truck, then someone's experience that's not as bad doesn't seem comparable. So they're like, do you know what? Mine's, mine's not as bad. And I can deal with that trauma differently. You know, I look at, you know, I look at my experiences and I'm like, the thing is, what people got to remember, there's always someone worse. There's always someone who's seen more shit. There's always someone who's done more stuff and that that's my philosophy and how I've always dealt with it because I, I had a pretty shit upbringing like by by my mum lovely you know I've, so I like lived in council estates you know my mum was at one stage with three of us she was a single mum and she was on the doorstep of the town hall sitting there until they gave her a council house because they were going to put us in a hostel my mum's like no you fucking not you know so it was it was that kind of upbringing but I had a mum that loved me so it was and then um, Debbie, who, who's kind of my mum, you know, Debbie's someone who's kind of become my mum. She's a, uh, <clears throat> she, she's a foster carer. So I see the kids that go through her. She's like one of the top level foster carers. And fuck me, some of those kids have had hard lives. So I look at my life and I'm like, that's fucking nothing. It's not comparable. You know, and it's likewise in combat. It's like, you know, I had a, <laughs> I didn't have a tough day. It was, it was, you know, it, it was what it was. But then you speak to these people like yourselves or other people, you hear other people's stories and you're like, fuck, that's... But like you're different. saying, it's all subjective, mate. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, you get, I, uh, you can have someone walk across the road, go across the road, they don't hit, hit by a car, it's a near miss by a car. The car nearly hits them, right? 
and they get post-traumatic stress disorder or they get some kind of mental illness at the back of it. Yeah. And then you get, I mean, I've said this before, this analogy before, so you can have that one extreme because subjective is about how people experience something and you can have someone else, we know people like, who did fucking two, three tours of wherever or experienced whatever crazy event, crazy event. Look at amputees. Mm. Look at amputees. Mate, the amount of amputees I know and they are like, their mental health is like on the boards. Yeah. Like, how are you even fucking functioning? <laughs> how did that not impact you in any way yeah. whatsoever, apart from physically? It's just, and again, it's just subjective. It's, um, mate, brain's a crazy thing. Hmm. The brain is a crazy it thing. It is. How do you tell people how to get hold of the Reorg podcast? So you can uh, f- follow us on Instagram, uh, Facebook, the Reorg podcast, um, or I've got an email at the Reorg podcast, no, the Reorg podcast at gmail.com. And it's on, it's on, uh, it's on Spotify, it's, it's on, on Spotify, iTunes. iTunes. Like. You got YouTube. You're not doing video, yeah. yeah Just, doing, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well. I would, I would, I agree. You should not with that face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, we're here. Cheers, thanks for having us on. We'll do it again, mate. Yeah. Cheers, mate. That's it. Thank you for listening. Another shout to my sponsors, Unmanned Air Veterans, founded by um, X32 Regiment Royal Artillery folk. They provide commercial UAV services, and uh, they've got a huge amount of experience in military UAV services. They know exactly what they're doing. You can find uh, you can find Unmanned Air Veterans on LinkedIn. You can find them on Instagram. Just search for Unmanned Air Veterans and drop them a message if you need to get in touch and need UAV commercial services. Also, Aardvark Group. The Aardvark Group who aim, whose aim it is to rid the world of uh, unexploded ordnance threats and uh, landmine threats. They've got a new store online where you can go and get some merchandise from them. They've got pretty trendy. I like the t-shirts. There's, a, there's some tongue-in-cheek humor on the t-shirts. I really like them a lot. And you can get, they've actually got a discount code at the minute. Discount code, when you go on to aardvark.group, which is their website, aardvark.group, go into the store, pick what you like, and then at checkout, enter the, the code TAG30, T-A-G-3-0, TAG30, and you'll get 30% off. Do it now, aardvark.group. Finally, big thank you to Rugby for Heroes for sponsoring the podcast, Mike and his merry band of men and women behind that organisation. Raising money for military charities all the way back since 2009. Raised over £110,000. Follow them on social media. Get to their events when they start back up because COVID's flipping stopped them. Uh, when they start back up and I will see you at the events. And, uh, well, to follow me, they're uh, handled, don't you? The username at rugby number four heroes at rugby for heroes thank you to all of those guys if you uh, if you want to become a patron of this podcast you can do that at patreon.com forward slash hk podcasts patreon.com forward slash hk podcasts and there's also um podcast merchandise available at shop.charliecharlie1.com that's it until next time out